Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. And just thankful that you're, you're here today and thankful that you've joined us. Um, I know sometimes um, these um, kind of get into the thick of the summer and um, people are kind of going in and out of uh, vacation. And sometimes you can lose some momentum, but I don't know why. I don't know if it's I've had too much coffee today. But, man, I'm excited today. I'm excited to be here. I hope that you're excited to be here. You're excited to be able to worship together, to hear God's word. Um, hopefully it's, um, again, as I pray, that this is encouraging for you today. Um, but it's going to be a good day. Um, I'm just excited to see what um, the Lord has for us. Um, I did want to say something real quick, um, and this person doesn't know that I'm, I'm doing it, um, but Drew Kellum, he played guitar for us, um, and he's been serving um, at this church for a long time now. I'm not going to make him come out here because he would kill me, um, but he um, has been on staff with us for a while. He serves as our graphic designer, and him and his uh, wife are actually going to be heading out. They're going to be going, moving up to Nashville, and I was just thinking about, um, as he was playing today, all that Drew has done for this church. He's um, been a faithful person of this worship team. He had served in our student ministry. Um, of course, he was on staff here, and he just um, was such an example of what a servant um, truly is. And I just, um, I'm so thankful for him and just can't wait to see what the Lord's going to um, continue to do in him, him and his wife's life. And as I was thinking about him, it just made me think about everybody that, um, that serves like that. And there's so many people here um, that whether you serve in production or you greet people or you serve in kids or you um, or just pray for our church or you help people park. And no matter any, what that is, maybe it's working with students. I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for, for serving the Lord. And it's just, um, there's going to be a day where we don't always know the impact that we have um, on people. And there's going to be a day when um, we get to heaven and the Lord gets to reveal all of that to us, of all the different parts of the, the, that we played in someone's life and how um, the small things that we did um, played to them coming to faith. And so um, I just want to say thank you for, for those that do serve here and um, just, uh, again, thankful for Drew and excited to see what um, God's going to continue to do in his life. Um, today, as Chase said, we are talking about um, the story of Lazarus. It is um, John chapter 11, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, if you are new to Connection or maybe you just started coming for a while, um, I want to say this, that um, this church is not just here in Statesboro. We actually have five different campuses. We have um, other campuses in Vidalia and Millen, Dublin and Pooler. And um, no matter what campus you attend, um, our heart, our desire is that we want to connect um, people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Everything we do is geared around that. We want to see you um, growing in your faith. We want to see you developing in your faith. And um, that's just our desire. Hopefully um, you see that. Hopefully you see that that is our desire. And hopefully that's taking place in your own life, that you are growing in your faith. Um, and so that, that's just um, what we, we desire to see happen. Um, right now we are um, in the book of John. We'll be in uh, studying John next week as well. And after that, we'll jump into the book of Acts. Um, right now, our messages are kind of following um, the reading plan that we're on as a, as a church. And it's called the 412 reading plan. And what that is, is just a daily reading plan for us to um, do as a church collectively, where um, by the end of this year, we will have gone through the entire New Testament um, together. And so right now we are in the book of John, and we'll just continue into, um, you can find that on our app. It's called the Connection Church official app, or if you're more old school, you want the hand copy, you can um, stop off in the hallway, and there's a big sign that says 412 reading plan. You can pick one up, and it's just an easy way to, to dig in the Bible each day, not to, to check something off of your list, but just something to, to stay engaged. And so um, today, we are in John chapter 11, and so let's go ahead and dive in and see um, what the Lord has for us in this particular passage. So John chapter 11, Beginning in verse 1, says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is referring back to another story that's in scripture as well. So this sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So right off the bat, we see that this relationship that Jesus has with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was a very close relationship. Um, It would have been known at this time that they had this close relationship. Obviously, Jesus cares and loves for everyone, but there was something special about this. And so when they talked about the one you love, people would have known very quickly who he was talking about. And so obviously, people knew of this friendship. They knew how close Jesus was with um, this particular family. And it's very important to see how close he was with them because that's going to help in the rest of the story and the significance of what is going on here. In verse 4, it says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. If you're taking notes, I would write down God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And so this is kind of an encouraging thing to hear um, because whenever they hear that he's sick, they hear that, all right, God, that this is not going to end in death. And so that's an encouraging thing. They're like, great, that's going to be good. Um, Jesus is going to heal um, Lazarus so that he doesn't have to die. Now, listen here. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, This is where it kind of begins taking a little bit of a turn because this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for him to say he loved them so he waited two more days, right? That would be like me saying, I love my wife so I forgot our anniversary, right? It would almost be like a better word would be but, right? You know, I love my wife, but I forgot our anniversary. Didn't happen, I remembered it, so, huh. But it just doesn't really make sense there. It doesn't make sense what Jesus is saying. So why would he say so? Because the proper response is he loved them, so he did something immediately. So it's very interesting to see that Jesus was very intentional to wait. And then it said, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? And so what we begin to see here is now we see the disciples' point of view of this particular situation. The rest of this story is going to be comparing Jesus' point of view or God's point of view and our point of view or the disciples' point of view or Mary's point of view, whatever it may be. We're going to be countering those two points of view and those two different perspectives. And so what we see with the disciples right now, the way they're looking at this situation is they're saying, look, we don't want to go to where Lazarus is because the last time we were there, um, We had rocks thrown at us, right? I don't really want to do that. Jesus, that's probably not a really good idea for us to go and do that. They're looking at it of, hey, why would we do that? Because that could cause us harm. They're looking at it from their perspective. Their point of view is this is probably not a smart idea. Jesus, maybe we could do this another way. I don't think we need to be able to go there. So again, we see their perspective versus what Jesus is saying. And I think this probably happened a lot is that whenever Jesus was trying to teach these disciples, they're always looking at it from their point of view. And over and over and over again, you see throughout scripture, It's Jesus is trying to tell them the bigger picture. He's trying to tell them what's actually going on there. And so you see Jesus respond and he says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And so Jesus responds with kind of a theological answer. And a lot of times he does this and the disciples, they're just kind of confused by this. They're going, what, 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 are you, what are you talking about? And he continues and he says, after he had said this, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And so He's told them we need to go there. And then they find out the reason they're going there is because he's fallen asleep. The disciples are like, hey, Jesus, um, I'm thinking, what if somebody else just goes and wakes them up? Do we really need to 
to walk two days to go wake this guy up? Did he have too much NyQuil? Like, what's going on? Does he need, need a better alarm clock? Like, isn't there somebody that can just like shake him and wake him up? If he's asleep, then he'll just wake up again. What, why do we have to go there and do this? And so they can't see the bigger picture. And so finally, Jesus gets very, very clear with them. Finally, he comes out and this is what he says. It says in verse 14, so he told them plainly. And I think Jesus probably had to do that um, a good bit of time. He has to do that with me a lot of times where he just looks at me and says, oh my gosh, John, let me just, let me cut to the chase because you're really missing it. And he says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Again, if you're taking notes, I would write down so that you may believe. So we have two things written down now, hopefully maybe more. We have God's glory and we have so that you may believe. Very interesting phrase here of what Jesus is saying because he just tells them, he reveals to them, Lazarus has died. They knew Lazarus as well. And so this is probably a big shock to them. And then he says the phrase, and for your sake, I'm glad. And that had to be so confusing to them because they're like, why is that a good thing? Why would we want, why would it be good for our sake for Lazarus to die? And then he says, why? And he says, so that you may believe. And they're still looking at the going, but that doesn't make sense. I can't understand Jesus of why that would make sense. So again, we're looking at it from their point of view. And I got to admit, if I was them in this scenario, I would probably respond the same way. I would imagine you would probably respond the same way, which again shows me how often our point of view can be different from God's point of view. Then we get to verse 16. And I gotta be honest, I think verse 16 is in here just for our amusement, right? I think that's the only reason that's in here because we see, we hear from this guy, Thomas. He's one of the disciples. And Thomas kind of gets a bad rap because um, he's referred to as doubting Thomas. He's kind of the, the downer of the group. Listen to what Thomas says. He says, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Right, basically Thomas is saying, well, shoot, Jesus is just gonna go get some rocks thrown in, well, I guess we should just go too, whatever, whatever. I guess we just got, this is what we gotta do. I mean, it's just, is what it is. He's just kind of the, the Debbie Downer of just, uh, I guess we'll go and die. Like, it's just kind of funny. I don't have any other insight on that verse other than I just think it's funny. All right, moving on. On verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. This is very important, all right? At that time in the Jewish culture, there was a belief that basically your spirit stuck around for three days and it stuck around for the um, potential of you being resuscitated. And so there, there was three days that this was potentially possible. And so the fact that he said four days, basically the spirit has left at this point. And so any potential of Lazarus being raised would have been gone at that point. The belief system at the time would have been like, it's not even possible anymore. So the fact that it had been four days was very specific. So again, we see that Jesus's timing on this is very specific. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary, excuse me, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now, we're going to get ready to see two different responses between how Jesus responded to Martha and how Jesus responded to Mary. So let's look and see how he responded to Martha. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When I read that verse, I thought about, man, how often in my own life have I said similar things where I looked at something that had happened in my life and I almost looked to God and saying, God, why did you let that happen? You could have done this. If you had only done that, 
this wouldn't have happened. God, how, why did you let this happen? And almost has had me, had times where I've just been disappointed that God didn't do the thing that I thought he should do. That, God, why would you not want to do that, right? Have we not all had moments where you maybe questioned God in that a little bit, but then you feel bad because you're like, should I question God in that? Is that, is that okay? Is that not okay? But we see, I mean, we can all relate to Martha here because she just lost her brother and she knew that Jesus was capable, but she's like, where were you? Why didn't you come? But she knows she's talking to Jesus, and so she doesn't want to talk bad about him. So she kind of follows that up in verse 22 and says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so you can see there's even a little bit of hope in Martha that's thinking maybe he can do something. But I don't even think it's possible, but maybe he still can. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Pretty incredible thing that Jesus just said. And what we see here is Jesus is beginning to show them and relate that what's about to happen with Lazarus is the parallel to what ultimately he's going to do on the cross, right? So this is the turning point where he's saying, look, I don't want you to miss what's about to happen here because ultimately all of this is to point you to the cross, is to point you to what I'm about to do. And so he's wanting to point Martha. He's almost giving more of a theological answer to Martha to say, look, I want you to see this. I want you to to realize the bigger picture. I don't want you to miss this. So he's trying to get Martha to understand that. And she responds and she says, yes, Lord, she she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And so we see that she she responds to that and says, yes, I I know that's, that's true. And then we see that he's getting ready to go talk to Mary. And Mary wasn't outside. And what the reason I think she wasn't outside is I think she was just, she was so just beaten up. She was, it says that she was mourning. I think she was um, probably depressed. I think she was just discouraged. I don't even think she could bring herself to come to Jesus. Because she's like, How, I'm just so, I'm hurting. I'm hurting at the loss of my brother. And I can't even bring myself to face Jesus. But finally, Martha tells Mary, look, she, Jesus is here. You need to come talk to him. And in verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see the same statement that Martha said. But look how Jesus responded. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And you see this response to Mary as he understands where she's coming from. We almost begin to see the human side of Jesus. When you see that phrase, that verse, Jesus wept, always many of us know that that's the shortest verse in the Bible, but I also believe it's one of the most powerful verses because we get to see very clearly the character of God. What we see here is we see that Jesus is looking to Mary and he's realizing and he's sympathizing with her hurt. You know, in some ways I'm like, well, why was Jesus weeping? Why was he crying? Because he knows in about 10 minutes, this guy's about to be raised from 
from the dead, right? The, it turned, the story is going about to turn around. Jesus knew this, so why would he be upset? Why would he be sad? But what you see is going on here is Jesus is identifying with their hurt because the reality, even though Lazarus was going to be raised, they still had to deal with the four days of hurt, the four days of suffering, the four days of questions, the four days of disappointment in what Jesus didn't do. And he understands that, and he comforts her in that, and he, alongside of her, weeps and mourns alongside of her. What I thought about in the two different ways that he responded to them, I, I thought about, you know, the times that I've been at a funeral before, maybe I've lost somebody that has been close to me, that usually there's two type of people that um, will come up to, to me or to whoever it is, and I think you can probably relate to this too. There's, there's those people that will come up, and they, they'll encourage you, right? They'll share maybe a scripture with you. They'll share um, a, a, a good memory um, of that person. They'll, they'll want to encourage you and just share some truth with you, share some things that you need to hear, you need to know. And there's other people that they'll just come up, and they'll just put their arm around you. They'll give you a hug. They'll sit with you, and they won't say anything. And what I realize is that I almost feel like that's what Jesus did here. There's times that Jesus needs to tell us truth. And he needs to remind us who we are. He re needs to remind us of the gospel. And there's times that we have a Savior that understands our hurt because he was a human too. Lazarus was his friend too. Lazarus can identify with that. Excuse me, Jesus can identify with that hurt, with that pain. And that's what he's wanting to show us. He's wanting to show us his nature in that, that he hurts alongside of us. And so when we have things in our lives that are tough, when there's suffering, when there's tragedy, when there's sickness, when there's death, whatever it may be, we have a God who understands that and comes alongside us and, and comes alongside of us and comforts us and says, I'm right there with you. We have a God that does both of those things for us and that we need both of those things. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Again, they recognized it as well. But verse 37 says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? What I see in this is I see what we all do is that we look at situations and we look at what God is capable of and we say, God, I wouldn't have done it like that. Why couldn't you have done it like this? I know you're capable of doing it like this. Why didn't you do that? And so they're looking at what Jesus did, and they're saying, look, he could have done this, but he didn't. And they begin to judge Jesus for that. And I think many of us, we try to put ourselves in the driver's seat also, and we say, God, if it were me, I would have done this a lot differently. And it's so easy to begin to question those things, to begin to think, God, why would you have done this like that? Because again, when we look at things from our perspective, when only from our almost vantage point, sometimes we can't see that. And it's so easy to question God's motives and to question what God is doing. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. As I was studying this week and I was reading different commentaries um, in this particular passage, there's two different things that I feel like um, there's, there's a lot in that I kind of want to unpack just a little bit. And the first one is when it says, take away the stone. What I, what I read and what I researched is that um, this is almost talking about our responsibility in things. And there is um, a thing that I, one of the commentaries I was reading, I just want to recite the same thing because I just feel like it's put so well, but it says this, it says, now Jesus would demonstrate the glory of God for all those present to see. But first, 
he required that the stone be removed. Often, God waits for us to do what only we can do so that he can do what only he can do. Until we obey him, he cannot work. D.L. Moody began his great Chicago campaign preaching on the phrase, take away the stone, and suggested the cause of revival would be hindered if the stones of unbelief, prejudice, or just being stuck in your ways were not set aside. And I thought, man, what an incredible perspective about the when Jesus said, move the stone away, it would be easy to, to just roll past that and not see the significance of it. But I realize that so often in our lives, God does do, ask things of us. He wants to see, I want you to do this, and then we see God move. Now, is our response, us doing things, does that... Um, is that the only way for God to move? Is he dependent on that? No, I don't believe that to be the case, but I do believe that you see throughout scripture, God continuing to challenge us and say, look, I want you to take a step first. I wanna see you grow in this. You see that in the book of Joshua when the Israelites are getting ready to cross the Jordan. What scripture says is that before the Jordan River separated, right, they had to step into the water. They didn't see the miracle. They had to take a step first. And that step was probably pretty, pretty crazy, right? Because this river is, is running really, really fast. And they're saying, God's saying, you got to cross this river and they're going, what's going to happen, right? They didn't see what was going to happen until they stepped in. But God wanted them to take their step first and then to be able to see what he was going to do, then to be able to see the miracle. I thought about that in light of um, my daughter, Harper. You know, that oftentimes as a, as a father, I can't do everything for her. There's things that I need her to figure out on her own. And the, if I tried to do everything for her, she would never fully learn and feel, fully develop into who she needs to be. And I think a lot of times God wants us to do the same thing. He wants to see us do some stuff on our own. And what I realized is that that's an incredible thing to be able to be part of what God is doing. And that's something I thought about even during the, the message at nine o'clock. It kind of hit me is that what God was doing here is he was allowing these people to be a part of Lazarus being raised from the dead, right? They got to be part of that miracle. God wanted them to be a part of that miracle. Could Jesus have gone over there and moved away the stone? Yeah, I'm sure he, he could. But he said, you know what? No, I I want you to be part of this mission. I want you to be a part of this miracle. How incredible is it that we get to be a part of what God is doing? The other thing that I see in this is when it says that Jesus once more was deeply moved. This is the second time that you see the words deeply moved. And as I was studying this, what I realized is that the translation from the original Greek of deeply moved might not actually be the best translation, right? That there's a different word that could actually be put in there that's probably a better translation. And that word is snort. Not what you thought I was going to say, was it? Right? Because obviously, and you can probably see why Bible translator didn't use that, that word because it's just kind of an odd word there. It doesn't really translate into English very well, right? But let me, let me paint a picture for a second, right? When you think about a bull, right, in a, in a, in a bull ring, in a fighting ring, right, and that bull's getting ready to charge, what does it begin doing, right? It begins getting worked up, right? It begins kind of stomping its feet a little bit. You kind of hear it. It starts and it does a little bit of snort, right? It kind of does that. It's beginning to go, getting ready for battle, right? This, this bull knows I'm getting ready to charge. I'm getting, and so it's having to build up all of this energy. It's getting worked up. It's getting worked up. And you see this imagery, this bull going back and forth, getting ready to go after it. What we see going on here is Jesus is about to look at death 
and go into battle with death, right? The thing that's never been able to be conquered before, Jesus is getting ready to go into war. And so what you see in Jesus is you don't see a meek and a weak person. You see a bull getting ready to go into battle. You see a warrior getting ready to go into battle. So Jesus is getting ready, right? He's getting ready. He's getting ready to go into battle against death because he's about to say, death, you have no say-so over Lazarus anymore. And so, yeah, he snorted because he was ready to go after. He was ready to go into battle. And that's what we see here. And when I thought about that, I'm like, man, what a better translation of what's going on here, right? He's not just like, oh, I need to go and do this. He's saying, no, I'm about to tear that tomb open and raise this man from dead to life. And it's this incredible, incredible moment. That's the Jesus that we serve because he did the same thing on the cross about eight chapters later in scripture. Think about that imagery. Think about that Jesus that's getting ready to do that for each one of us. That is what's going on there. And when I saw that and when I read that, I'm like, man, that changes this scripture, does it not? Man, that's, Jesus is good. A couple people think so. All right. It's, it continues and it says, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor for he has been in there for four days. Martha's going, look, the dude stinks, all right? I, again, what do we see? We see Martha's perspective of this situation. She's not even seeing the potential of Lazarus being raised. And so all she's looking at is, how's this gonna affect me? I'm gonna have to smell a dead guy. I don't really wanna do that, right? And you see this perspective that she can't see anything beyond that. Listen to what Jesus said. This is what Chase quoted earlier. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. There's the glory of God again. He's saying, look, I, I, I told you, if you did not, if you just believed, you would get to see something incredible. And Jesus is trying to point her back to his perspective of what, what is about to happen. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And I don't know if you pick up on it, but when you read that verse, that first part of his prayer, it says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And you realize that that heard is past tense, which means Jesus had been praying for this already. Right? This wasn't the first time that Jesus had prayed to the Lord about Lazarus. He had been praying for this for a while. So you see that the miracle was preceded with prayer. And what I thought about and what I feel like the Lord spoke to me in this is, man, how often, John, are you praying for the things that you want to see God do? Am I preceding what I want to see God do with prayer? And so often, I, I don't think that's the case, right? I just want it to happen like that. And you see that Jesus, who knows how long he had been praying for this, how long he had been going to the Father and saying, God, you've got to move in this. And then, but finally, it says, as he prays, what does he say? He says, that, but I did this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The two things, again, that we see is that through this whole story, we see that what? That God's glory, it's about God's glory in this story, and it's about us believing in this story. That everything Jesus is wanting to pull out in this story is to reveal God's glory and to point us and to point them back to God and to allow us to believe. He wants to use all of this so that people may believe. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come out. And, you know, I thought about that, and I thought about, man, what if, what if Jesus didn't call him by name? And he just said, come out. Probably what happens is a bunch of dead people would just start getting up, right, and just start walking around and be like, Jesus, you need something? Right, no, I'm good, okay. Right, because he, because think of, he has that type of power to raise people from the dead. So he had to be very specific so that all the dead people didn't get up and just start walking around, right? That would have been weird. And so he had to be very specific. He said, Lazarus, come out. And But the other thing that I thought about is I did a message on um, this, um, this, this chapter um, several years ago, and I was kind of looking back on my notes just to make sure that I wasn't, you know, crazy in my beliefs. I think I did all right. But one of the things I picked up and one of the notes I wrote down was how loudly Jesus proclaimed Lazarus's name. And what I thought about at that time was like, man, that's what he did for me. When he called me and he looked at me and said, I want you and I want your sin to be forgiven, he said, John, it's time to wake up, right? It's time to come out. It's time to move away from your sin. The thing that Jesus does for each one of us is he calls us by name. And he calls us by name very loudly. He is not shy about his desire for each one of us. Many of you, you've heard Jesus shout your name inside of you. You've heard that and he has called you and he has pursued you time and time again. But some of us We've resisted that. But understand, that is the God that we serve, is the God that calls us by name, the God that shouts loudly when we are in our sin, when we are in rebellion against God, that he looks at us and says, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I don't want you to miss the significance of that last verse. Because what it says there is it says, it's time to move on from where you were. When we come to faith, it says that the old is gone and the new has, has come. So often we want to stay in our sin. We want to stay in what we have always done. And what Jesus is saying, staying here to Lazarus, he's like, take off the grave clothes. It's time to move forward. It's time to become a new creation. You know, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he says to her, he says, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. He wasn't looking at this woman and saying, you need to now be perfect. What he was saying is you need to do away from what your life used to be. He's saying you need to remove your grave clothes and it's time to move forward again because your sins have been forgiven. You have now been raised to life. And so now it's time to move forward as a new creation in Christ. Many of us, we wanna put the grave clothes back on, right? We don't, because it's, sometimes that's more comfortable. Sometimes that's it just, it, it feels more comfortable. And I don't know what the grave clothes are for you, but you, and the Lord's gonna continue to reveal those things for you. And so I believe there's probably things that the Lord can look at your life right now and say, it's time to take the grave clothes off. It's time to move on from that. It's time to move forward in what I am desiring for you. You know, I think about this, this story and Honestly, it's a really incredible story. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun thing to preach, right? Because literally a guy was raised to life. That's a pretty cool story. I remember before I was a Christian, you know, I knew about Jesus being raised from the dead. I had heard that before, and I feel like I could understand that. I'm like, yeah, well, if he was God's son, it probably makes sense that God could raise him from the dead. And it wasn't until I became a Christian and started reading Scripture that I realized that there was actually stories in Scripture of people being raised from the dead. And I'm like, and I don't know why, that seemed almost crazier than Jesus being raised from the dead, right? Because those people were just normal people. They weren't, you know, God. They were just individuals. They were like me or you. And to think about, like, I thought about, like, what if that was me? Like, what if, like, I died 
And then like four days later, all of a sudden I started jotting down notes of what I kind of saw. And I was like, oh, look, I'm journaling. So I realized it's not actually that hard. I just have to actually do it. Um, and so I kind of just jotted down some things that I feel like I took away. And I want to kind of walk through that and we'll just kind of see what the Lord has for us. Um, but the first thing is that the thing that I wrote is that our timetable and God's timetable are two different things, right? Our point of view and God's point of view are two completely different things. And we know this, and God knows this, because God tells us in his word that his ways are not our ways. And so we see that, but what I realize is that the, Jesus' timing in all this was so specific. He knew exactly why he wanted to do things the way that he did. But oftentimes, when we only look at it from our perspective, those two timetables aren't going to match up. And that's something that, that's something we're going to have to wrestle with. And I, as I'm reading this and I'm looking at this, I'm going, okay, what things in my own life am I maybe having a different timetable on than maybe God is? And am I willing to wrestle with that? Am I willing to sit in that just a little bit? The other thing that I see is that this story kind of pulls out um, the moments in our lives where we kind of have disappointment in God. The moments in our life where we look at things and we go, God, that didn't happen the way that I thought it should happen. And it causes a lot of times almost a crisis of faith for many of us. And I believe that there's three different ways that we can respond to that when God doesn't do the thing that we thought a good God should do. The first thing is we can lose our faith, right? We can, we can look at this, we can look at this area, we can say, well, if God would allow that, if that's the type of God that would allow that, then I'm just not going to believe anymore. That's one way that we could respond. Another way is we could try to isolate that particular belief, that particular issue, whatever that particular concept of God, and we could set that to the side and say, well, I'm just not even going to think about that because I don't want to think about that. It's too hard to think about that. And so I'm just going to set it to the side because I'm worried if I do think about that, that maybe I'll lose my faith. So I'm just not going to do that. So I'm not even going to look at that. I'm just going to isolate that over here. That could be another response. The third response is that we could dive deeper into our faith. That instead, we go head first into that feeling of disappointment with God, and we approach God on that, and we say, God, I don't get this. God, I don't agree with this. Maybe you think, is that okay? Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus did the same thing in the garden. Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross to God and saying, God, hey, I'm thinking maybe this isn't the best way, right? I'm struggling seeing how this could be worth it. I don't really want to go and be crucified, right? I'm struggling in this, God. And he's going to God and saying, God, please, there's got to be another way. I just can't see this. How are you going to use this, right? It's okay to go to God in that. But you see through that prayer, you see through that time that Jesus is with the Father as he still comes to a point of saying, but God, if it's your will, that's what I'm going to do. And ultimately, we know that Jesus understood the point of all that, and he understood the perspective of where God was coming from, because ultimately, him going to, cross, to the cross was going to result in the um, redemption of all of mankind for the rest of history. And so he could look at that, and so the, the more that Jesus dove into that, the more that Jesus dove into that prayer, prayer, the more of the Father's plan was revealed to Jesus. And he understood that, and he recognized that as a, as a human. I think the more that we dive into those moments of where we just don't understand something, of whether it's sickness or tragedy or illness or, or whatever circumstance it is that you're struggling with, where you're having the same response that Martha and Mary are having, where they're saying, Jesus, you could have done this. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? In those moments, go to the Father and dive deeper into that and say, God, I need you to help me understand this. And I believe the more you dive into that, the more he will begin revealing of his larger plan. Now, there's going to be things that we're not going to fully ever 
understand or understand God's point of view until the day that we meet him, when we get to see the larger perspective, just as I talked about earlier, that, you know, we're not going to see when we serve the Lord, all the different things that God uses us, us in, all the different people that we reach, that we had no idea that we even reached them. One day we'll get to see all that. One day we'll get to understand all of that. But can we, can we press into the Lord in those moments of disappointment and those moments where we just don't get it? So why does why does suffering happen? Why does God allow these things to happen? I think it's important for us to remember that suffering and sin and sickness and hurt and tragedy and all of these things, they began because sin entered the world. That's why those things exist. It's because of our rebellion that those things existed. However, God reversed the curse of that sin through the life of Jesus, ultimately for his glory and for his good so that we might believe. Then we see that verse in Romans where it talks about how God works all things together for good finally makes sense because we see that he works in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of whatever issue that particular thing is. God works in that ultimately for our good and for his glory. Does that mean that all of these things he caused and he created and they're all good in nature? No, but can he use those things and redeem them to be good? Yes, I believe so. You see in the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, a bunch of really tough things happen in Joseph's life because of different people's actions. And at the end of Genesis, he's looking to these people that have caused this stuff. And he looks at them and he says, look, you intended this for harm, but God intended it for good. We look at the cross and we see that the cross was intended for harm, but ultimately God intended it for good. We see that through Jesus, all of that was redeemed. And the sting of death, the sting of suffering was lessened because of Jesus. As I was studying this, I came across a quote um, or a story of a pastor. Um, I believe his name was D.G. Barnhouse. And I think he was a Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia. And many years ago, he lost his wife. And he, um, they were coming home from the funeral, and his kids were riding the car. And his daughter, his 11-year-old daughter, looks to him and, and says, what is the the valley of the shadow of death. What's the shadow of death? And the reason she was saying this is that during the sermon, they, they quoted Psalm 23 of, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so he's sitting there trying to think about how do I respond to my 11 year old daughter? How do I give her an answer to this? And as they're driving a, a semi truck drove by them. And as it drove by them, it kind of cast a shadow over the car. And he looks at them and he says, you see that truck right there? Would y'all rather be hit by the truck or be hit by the shadow of the truck? And the kids look at him and say, well, dad, I mean, of course we would rather be hit by the shadow. And he said, exactly. He said, 2000 years ago, Jesus was hit by the truck of death so that we only have to get hit by the shadow of death. That's the shadow of death that's being talked about there. And when I read that, I'm like, what a perfect illustration of what Jesus has done for us. Because what that explains is that Shadows still come, right? Suffering still comes. Sickness still comes. Death still comes. There is a shadow in this world, and that's because sin has entered this world as a broken world. However, through Jesus, that overall separation, Jesus took on full force, and he took the hit that we should have taken. Many of us, we think, well, that, that we are all inherently good 
and that God should do good things for us. And the only issue with that is the Bible says something completely opposite. It says, no, we, we're inherently bad. We repelled, rebelled against God. And so the fact that there are good things in this life is because of God's grace. And the fact that God came to us to redeem us, to restore us, to make us right again is his just inexplainable grace that he would do that for us. I thought about those four questions that Brandon has been asking us of who is God, who am I? What has God done? What have I become? As I read this passage, I thought about who is God? And I realized God is someone who has a perspective that's different from ours. God sees things that we don't see. God sees angles that we don't see. And I need to understand that. I need to remind myself of that. Who am I? I am someone that has a very narrow perspective. It's very easy for me to only look at situations and circumstances from my point of view, and I need to remind myself of that. But what has God done? God will take every one of those situations, every one of those circumstances, and he will use it to bring glory to God, and he will use it to point us back to God and ultimately for our good so that we might believe. That is what God has done. That is what God will continue to do is that every part of this story, Jesus is pointing people back to the gospel. What have I become? I've become just like Lazarus. Just like Lazarus was raised from the dead physically, we have been raised from the dead spiritually when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus. And in light of, in the same power that Jesus was able to raise Lazarus, he's able to raise each one of us. So my question is, where are we putting our hope today? Are we putting our hope in our circumstances, our situations, the different things that are going on, or are we putting it in the person of Jesus? Because here's the thing, if we're putting it in our circumstances, then our faith is gonna go up and down with those circumstances. But if we're putting it in Jesus, in that constant, that when tragedy strikes, when something happens that we don't understand, we are not, our faith is not shaken. For those of you that have been on a boat out on the ocean, whenever you get seasick, they tell you to look at the horizon because the horizon stays same. The boat and the waves, they go up and down, but the horizon, it stays same, stays the same. That's the same thing for us is that Jesus is our horizon. Jesus is the thing that we can fix our eyes on and say, you're the same. You are my constant. And so even when things aren't going like I thought they were, would, I know that I can look to you and that because of that, my faith will not waver. I don't know where you're at with that today. I don't know what you needed to hear today, but I believe that we, there's no way to read this passage to reveal what God has done for us other than to respond in worship, other than to respond in awe of God. That's what I want us to do right now. I want us to, I want us to respond. I want us to worship. And I'm gonna ask something a little bit different. The band's gonna come out. We're gonna do one more song. And I'm gonna ask that um, if you're a connector here, normally you need to go to your spot, just, just stop for a second. It, it'll be all right. If you're not at your door, it'll be, it'll be fine because I want us all to be in here together. And in light of what we've read, in light of what Jesus has done for us, in the same way of what he did for Lazarus, I want us to remember what Jesus did for, for us. If you're a believer, I want you to think back to the day that he set you free from your sin. If you don't know Jesus, then I want you to realize that he is calling your name loudly right now, boldly, 
he's calling for you and he's saying, it's time to turn around. It's time to take off the grave clothes. It's time to move on. And maybe you need to, maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. You know, we'll have some, some prayer people over there and I don't think any of them are gonna snort at you, but I will tell you this, they'll go to battle with you. They'll be a warrior for you. And the same desire that Jesus had to, to do something great, they wanna see that happen in your life. And they just wanna come alongside you. So maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to sit in your seat and just listen to these words. Maybe you need to stand up and just shout praise to God in response to what he's done. I want you to respond however God's calling you to respond. So let's worship together. Let's be together in this. Let's, let's lift praise up to God in light of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we praise you. God, you are good. You are a miracle working God. Amen. You are a miracle working God. How awesome is it that the same power that was able to raise Lazarus, an ordinary man from the grave, that that same power has raised us from our sin, from our separation from you, that you in your incredible mercy, incredible grace have come after us with a reckless abandon, that you have come after us when we didn't deserve it, that you have come after us when we have turned away time and time again, that you continue to come after us. God, don't let us miss the incredible power that goes along with that. God, you deserve all praise because we did nothing to deserve this. And yet you in your amazing grace came to us. God, I pray that as we respond right now, that God, just a small element of it is pleasing to your ear. So God, let us respond. Let us praise you. Speak to us.